26, beginning in verse 62. Please stand together with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is that which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Thank you. you. May be seated. What you will see as we looked at the text this morning is that there's kind of a it's kind of a courtroom scene going on, a courtroom scene. And of course, I had a couple uh, jokes to tell about lawyers. I'm going to skip over that and want to start right into the message, looking first of all at the prosecution. The prosecution. The prosecutors we learn here are the chief priest, including the high priest, the elders, and the council, otherwise known as the Sanhedrin. And not only are the prosecutors, the chief priests, the elders, and the council, but also the witnesses. But the thing with these witnesses, they were all false witnesses. As you read the couple verses before our text this morning, they're all false witnesses. But finally, when they're listening to all these false witnesses, they finally get two false witnesses uh, that do agree on something. And what they agree on is that Jesus said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Look at verse 61. And this said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now I will tell you that Jesus did say that. He did. But when he said it, he was referring to his own body. John gives it to it like th- gives it to us like this in John chapter two, beginning in verse nineteen. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty-six years was this temple in building, and will you rear it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. Okay, So obviously Jesus wasn't talking about tearing down the brick and mortar. He was talking about his own body. His body was destroyed by death, and his body was resurrected three days later. And by the way, these people knew what Jesus meant when he said that because they brought it up again during his crucifixion. Look here at Matthew 27, verse 40. They said, Thou that destroys the temple and builds it in three days, save yourself if you be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. They knew exactly what he was talking about. But again, they were grasping at straws. They wanted some way to convict Jesus and to find him guilty. And so the only witnesses that would agree were these two that said, Well, he said he'd tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days. He did say that, but he wasn't referring to the brick and mortar of the building. But what was the goal of this council that was gathered together? The goal of this council was Jesus' death. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus' death. How do I know? Look at verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. This was just a a kangaroo court. It was just the whole purpose was to get him put to death. They didn't seek to imprison Jesus. They didn't seek to banish Jesus. They wanted him dead. But why were they so intent on Jesus' death? Well, reason number one, their hatred of the truth that Jesus proclaimed. Jesus went around proclaiming the truth. They didn't like it. Not only did they not like it, they hated it. But not only were they intent on Jesus' death because their hatred of the truth that Jesus proclaimed, it was also their hatred of the truth that Jesus is. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They hated Jesus. They hated what Jesus said. They wanted him put to death. But there's another reason this council was so intent on Jesus' death, and that is because of God's plan for salvation. See, in God's mind, the human sin debt needed to be paid. Why? Because God wanted to spend eternity with people. And so he knew that man's sin debt had to be paid. And the only one to be worthy to pay that debt would be Jesus. In fact, we just commemorated Jesus' death in the the Lord's Supper this morning his body and his shed blood. And so these people were full of hatred 
Hatred for the truth. Hatred for Jesus. And yet God was working through that. This was all part of His plan to bring about our salvation. So we see the prosecution. Secondly, I want us to look at the defense. Notice in verse 63 that I already read, they're accusing Jesus of all this stuff and He did not answer His accusers. That's why I've entitled this message The Silence of the Lamb. The Silence of the Lamb. Now Jesus could have certainly talked His way out of this trial. He was a brilliant orator. His thoughts and words were untainted by sin. Jesus had an encyclopedic knowledge of the Old Testament Scriptures. There is no way, no matter what somebody asked Him, no matter what somebody said, He could have talked His way out of it, no question, and yet He says nothing. And not only did He say nothing in this court, later on He goes to Pilate in chapter 27, He says nothing to Pilate. Then after that He goes to King Herod in Luke chapter 23, He says nothing. Now why was Jesus silent? All these people accusing him. Clearly they were false witnesses. The Bible said they were false. Why would he be silent? He could have gotten out of it. Well, first of all, for prophecy. What prophecy? Isaiah 53.7. Look at this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. So there was prophecy. That's why he didn't say anything. By the way, it's interesting. It talks about a lamb here. Jesus is the Lamb of God. But Jesus came to be sacrificed. The second reason why Jesus was silent was futility. He knew these people already had their minds made up. In fact, look at Luke. He gives it to us in Luke 22, beginning in verse 67. They asked him, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And Jesus said unto them, If I tell you, you won't believe. And also if I ask you, you won't answer me or let me go. He knew in their minds it was already a settled deal. They were going to settle for nothing but his death. And so for prophecy he was silent. For futility, he was silent. Thirdly, for a guarantee. Now, there's another character in this story that we didn't read about. His name is Barabbas. Barabbas. Now, there was a guarantee that if Jesus didn't say anything, if he didn't try to get out of this, this would ensure Barabbas' release and Jesus' condemnation. You see, the Roman procurator, uh, Pilate, he traditionally released a Jewish prisoner at Passover time. And so we were at Passover time, so he was going to release a Jewish prisoner. Barabbas, we are told, was guilty of insurrection. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of theft. But here's what I find interesting about Barabbas. The word, the name Barabbas means son of the father. Bar means son of, and Abba, Abbas, is father, son of the father. And so actually when the people have a choice to make between Jesus and Barabbas, their choice is between two sons of the father. Barabbas, it means son of the father, and Jesus, who was the father's son. Barabbas' release reminds us of ours. The innocent for the guilty. The just for the unjust. As Peter puts in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You see, Jesus took Barabbas' place, just like Jesus took our place. There's a third, a fourth reason why Jesus was silent, and that's for necessity. Necessity. Jesus knew he was to die. This is why Jesus came. He was born to die. I talked about that last week. We all are born and we all die. But Jesus was specifically born to die. Jesus knew he had to die. Why? First of all, to be obedient. Paul talks about that in Philippians 2.8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus knew he had to die to be obedient. He knew he had to die to purchase salvation for all who believe. 
So because Jesus died on that cross, when we believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, that he was buried for our sins, and the third day he rose again from the dead, when we truly believe and truly receive that, we are forgiven and we are granted eternal life. So Jesus knew he had to die to be obedient. He had to die to purchase our salvation. But here's the little secret. Jesus knew he wouldn't stay dead. He knew he wouldn't stay dead. Yeah, he was going to die for real. But three days later, he was going to come back. But notice, finally, the, the high priest asked Jesus if Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And look how Jesus answers in verse 64. He does open his mouth here. When the high priest says, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? Jesus says, You said it. You said it. He didn't say yes. He just said, You said it. However, Mark records that Jesus said, I am. When the high priest said, Are you Christ, the Son of God? According to Mark, Jesus said, I am. Well, let me tell you something, my friends. Jesus is Christ, the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is, I am, God in the flesh. He is all of those things. And then Jesus adds something. Look in verse 64. When, they ask him, when the high priest asks him who he is, he says, you have said it. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Jesus adds that they're going to see the Son of Man, not the Son of God. Now, he was just asked, are you the Son of God? He says, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, coming in the clouds. What does he mean by that? Well, he's referring to Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. See if this sounds familiar from what Jesus just said. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. There's Son of Man, there's the clouds. And came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Jesus doesn't say here who the Son of Man is. Now, they just asked him, are you the Son of God? He said, well, you said it. But I'm telling you what, the Son of Man, you're going to see him coming in the clouds of heaven. Well, even though Jesus doesn't say who the Son of Man is, the high priest understood that Jesus was speaking of himself. Look in verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He's spoken blasphemy. What further need we of witnesses? Behold, now you have heard his blasphemy. He tore his clothes. That was a common act of outrage or mourning. He accused Jesus of blasphemy. He dismissed any further testimony. We don't need any more testimony. My friends, Jesus is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. The Son of Man was actually Jesus' preferred title for Himself. Jesus is fully divine and fully human. And Jesus here prophesies of His future. He will sit at the right hand of His Father. He will travel in the clouds. When will He travel in the clouds? Well, shortly after this trial, He'd be ascending into heaven. And then later, in the rapture, Jesus will travel in the clouds for our liberation. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice it's in the clouds. In the clouds. And at that time all believers will be snatched away to heaven. So we've seen the prosecution. They've come for one reason. They want to put Jesus to death. Then we see... The defense. Jesus says nothing, at least concerning his accusations. Lastly, let's look at the sentence. 
This assembled tribunal agrees that Jesus is guilty of death. Look in verse 66. What do you think? They answered and said, He's guilty of death. This was their verdict. This was a sentence they wanted from the very beginning. But this verdict would have to be recommended to the Roman authorities because only Romans in that day could execute criminals. By the way, this is how Pontius Pilate gets involved. He wasn't involved until this council got together and then everything gets referred up to him and he's got to do something about it. But let me say this. Never has there been a more innocent man accused. Never in all of history has a more innocent man ever been accused than Jesus was on this day. Now, people have been falsely accused throughout history. I'm not saying that. But never has there been a more innocent man accused. Jesus was not just innocent, though. He was perfectly innocent. Jesus never, ever sinned. Jesus never, ever even made a mistake. You know, Jesus was a carpenter, right? There's a carpenter's rule. I'm not a carpenter, but there's a rule in carpentry, and it's measure twice, cut once. Measure twice, cut once. Guess what? When Jesus is your carpenter, measure once, cut once. He never made a mistake, ever, ever. This is why he could die in our place. He was and he is perfect. But here's why I want to bring it all together. God used man's sinfulness to bring about man's salvation. God used man's sinfulness to bring about man's salvation. Man's sin sentenced Jesus to death. All these men together in this council, they were sinful. They were full of hatred. They wanted Jesus dead. It was their sin that sentenced Jesus to death. But Jesus' death is what purchased salvation for us. Do you see that? And so on the one hand, these people are full of hatred. And they just want to kill the man. And God knew that. And because they killed him, his death paid for the sin of all who would believe. God certainly works out everything for the good of his people. And Paul talks about that in Romans 8.28. He says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You mean God can use my sinfulness? Yes. Yes. He used the sinfulness of this council full of hatred so that we could be saved even today. So here's the question I want to leave you with today. And I'm actually finishing early, the, earlier than what I said. Have you received what God conceived? God conceived this plan of salvation. He conceived that all these people would come together full of hatred and they would send Jesus ultimately to the cross. But in sending Him to the cross, that would bring salvation to all who believe. That was what God conceived. The question is, have you received what God conceived? Have you by grace through faith believed that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins? That He was buried for your sins and the third day He rose again from the dead? Have you received what God conceived? And so today we looked at the prosecution. These people already had their mind made up. They already knew what the end result was going to be. Their problem, they just had to find enough false witnesses that could agree. They needed two. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let something be established. They needed two. They finally find two that said, yeah, he said he's going to tear the temple down and build it back in three days. He said that. He was talking about himself. didn't matter. They just needed two to agree. They got it. And how did Jesus defend himself? Didn't. Didn't say a word. Didn't say a word to the council concerning his accusations. Didn't say a word to Pilate. Didn't say a word to Herod. He was silent for all the reasons we talked about, one of which is the prophecy. 
that he would be silent. And then we looked at the sentence. They said he's guilty of death. And on the one hand, we look at this sinful counsel. We say, how could they be so blind? How could they be so coarse? How could they be so harsh? On the other hand, we can say, thank God that he's in control even of sinful, wicked people. For through their wickedness, salvation is brought to all who believe. Will you receive what God conceived? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story. If there are those here who need to receive Christ as Savior, give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now. For those of us who do believe, may we be encouraged that no matter what happens, whether it's in history, in our own lives, you're sovereign, you're in control, and you're working it all out for good. And so may we just result in praise and glory and honor to you. Thanking you in Jesus' name.